What's up, everybody? This is Lisa Fields, the founder and president of the Jude 3 Project. And today, I'm so excited to announce Courageous Conversations 2019. It's coming to Atlanta, Georgia on August 1st and 2nd. Courageous Conversations is Jude 3 Project's annual gathering that pairs black voices trained in conservative and progressive spaces to discuss topics that are relevant for the church and the culture. This year's theme is bridging the gap between the church and the academy. And I am so excited about our guests that are coming and the topics that we have. We'll be discussing topics like hell, Paul's sexual ethics, the divided mind of the church, preaching the black millennials, sin. We have seven different topics and amazing scholars and pastors and preachers. We included some preachers this time that aren't seminary trained because the goal is to bridge the gap between the church and the academy for this Courageous Conversations. And in addition to that, guess what, y'all? We added the Q&A. So we have time for you to ask questions. It'll be two days this time, and you'll get to ask the scholars questions about the panel um, discussion. And I know that's important to so many of you who we've heard from since last year's Courageous Conversation. So join us August 1st and 2nd in Atlanta, Georgia. Go to CourageousCombos.org to register, or you could go to JudeThroughProject.com to register. There's a tab there and a link to register so go do that now we have um early registration available we have vip uh tickets available as well um i look forward to seeing you august 1st and 2nd in atlanta georgia it's going to be amazing we have some more announcements coming that i am absolutely excited about and i can't wait to share with you in addition to that i just want to thank our supporters that give monthly Um, We greatly, greatly appreciate it. We have some goals that we want to accomplish, um, getting a new uh, office facility, um, bringing on some more staff to help us, but we need, we need your support. We have some curriculum development that we're in the process of that we hope to release very, very soon. And we can't do this without faithful giving from you. So we ask that you consider giving to the Jude 3 Project on a monthly basis, whether it's one dollar, five dollars, ten, a hundred, ten thousand, a hundred thousand, whatever you feel that the Lord is leading you to give, um, we would greatly, greatly appreciate it. You could give at you3project.com. Um, we are so excited about what God is doing. We just left Gramlin State a couple weeks ago, and we had a phenomenal time with the students that were there. Um, And we want to continue doing things like that, but we can't do it without your faithful giving. So please consider giving at Jude3Project.com. Thank you. Thank you again for listening to us here at the Jude 3 Project podcast. Um, And let's get into today's episode. Hello, welcome to the Jew 3 Project podcast. I'm your host, Lisa Fields. I'm the founder of the Jew 3 Project. Well, thank you for watching another episode of the Jew 3 Project podcast. As always, I'm your host, Lisa Fields, the founder of the Jude 3 Project. And today we're joined by a very special guest who's no stranger to the Jude 3 Project. He was sounding board 
when I started <laughs> the G3 project. He's been on here before. Bishop Von McLaughlin, welcome Bishop hey, McLaughlin. Hey Lisa, good to see you girl, <laughs> good to see you, yeah. Yeah, Lisa, Lisa's special y'all, Lisa's special. She's my girl and I'm so proud of her and G3. Thank you. Uh, I remember when I was like, Bishop, I think I'm going to seminary. Well, I told you I wanted to be an apologist. And you was like, well, what books have you read? What school have you went to? Yeah. <laughs> I was like, I got my undergrad. You was like, well, when are you going to seminary? Yeah. So I appreciate uh, the push from you and others to, uh, to further my education, to help me get to where I am today. So thank you for that. You're welcome. And I think in, in our community, it's so important. I think a lot of people just, I don't know, they, they can't seem to marry scholarship and spirituality, but I think you've done a good job of doing both. Because I know you're saved. Yeah. <laughs> um, so for our audience who don't know who you are, just give them a little bit of background. Well, I'm Bishop Vaughn McLaughlin, I'm the senior pastor, the founder of the Potter's House International Ministries right here in Jacksonville. Um, ministry started with a handful of people, and now there are thousands of us. And uh, we're making an impact here in the city of Jacksonville, uh, economically, educationally, socially, and of course, spiritually. And um, we do what we do. You know, I, I got saved at... Uh, got midway in my life and uh, since then it's been a whirlwind for Jesus mm -hmm. and I'm a firm believer in the gospel I'm a firm believer in preaching the unadulterated gospel the death burial and resurrection of Jesus Christ and his soon return and that's the core of my message you know everything we do is motivated by love and we faith everything operates by love and mm -hmm. so I just try to uh, do what I do, obey God, stay black, die, see Jesus. <laughs> that's awesome and you've been around the uh, in this in Jacksonville and just around church for a long time and you've seen the different movements and where we are today I'm think it's nothing different than what's been going on in the past they with Nation of Islam there's the rise of Hebrew Israelites and other groups Moors and just syncretism how have you navigated through ministering to people that are going leaving the church for, for these different movements yeah you know we've actually had some people in our ministry who got caught up in um uh, Morism, the um, woke folk, and all of a sudden realized that their nationality, and they became more black nationalists than they were Christian, mm -hmm. and they've moved away from the things of the faith. A lot of it is just the same misinformation that has been propagated by people since the inception of Christianity. Uh, people have always doubted the deity of Christ. People have always doubted the Trinity. People have always doubted some of the historical facts and miracles and things that are in the Bible. It's no different. Today, we just have it in a different form. We call them different things. But syncretism has been around a long time where people just don't know. And when you don't know, you make up stuff. So you got Chris Lam and people just mixing stuff up and people who are confused about what the true church is. And I think one of the biggest problems is people equate the church to buildings and to denominations and to religious practices and not a relationship with Christ. In my personal life, I was 26 years old. I had never heard the gospel. I had never heard a preacher preach and I'd only been inside of the doorways of a building once in my life. And when I got saved, I was home. I had a glass of Jack Daniels in one hand, weed in the other, and Prince was singing the night I'm a party like it's 1999. And I was not persuaded by anyone. I never was told that Jesus was a white man. I never was told that the church was an oppressive unit. I never was told those things, never heard it. So I cried out to God in the living room of my house and I had a personal encounter with God. 
And it's through that encounter with God and through a study of his word that I've been able to accomplish the things that I've accomplished, do some of the things that I've done. And I'm no patsy to nobody. I'm totally in allegiance to Christ. And through that, God has allowed me to empower people, employ people, transform an entire community, change things. And it's taken me around the world many, many times, sharing the gospel with millions of people around the world. And it's not because I followed somebody's pattern or style of religion that is not true to the text. I just believe the word of God. And I think rightly dividing it has helped me become who God intended me to be in the beginning, to be fruitful, to multiply, to reproduce myself, to subdue and to have dominion. Mm -hmm. And that's exactly what we do. And so that's why we are here in the community. That's why the community knows we're here. The mayor, the governor, the president, everybody knows that we're here because we're making a solid impact in our community. And that's, I believe that's so important. And I know one of the things you, you stress is knowing what you believe. Um, I've heard you several times use the illustration when they're trying to show people how to detect counterfeit money. They don't give them a whole bunch of- Counterfeit money uh -huh. and say, learn these. They show them the real thing. Mm -hmm. And when you know the real thing, that's what the Mint does. They don't show people fake bills. You learn the real thing. And one of the things our church has done is that we've right now started a campaign, a war on biblical illiteracy so that people can know God for themselves. You know, uh, Lisa, a lot of people who talk about the church and a lot of people who, who put the church down and say that the church is irrelevant, the most oppressing thing that black folk could have ever done, all this kind of stuff. They don't have a personal relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. Mm -hmm. You can't explain that. It has to happen. It's a, it's a matter of the heart. It's something that takes place inside of an individual. I had money. I had a great job. I was making six figures at 23 years old. You know, I didn't have any kids. My wife was an executive in an insurance company. We had money. I had fame. I played college basketball. I had been around the world. I was enjoying life, but I was involved in some stuff that I wasn't proud of. And I couldn't get out of it myself. I couldn't look within. I couldn't search my own soul. It wasn't the gods in me. And none of those things, ancestry, none of that stuff can help me. I tried it out. I leaned more toward Islam than I did anything. And it was more the nation because I was a radical. You know, I was friends with Stokely Carmichael before he passed. So I get a chance to know about black power and all this kind of stuff. And so, hey, that was me. You know, I, I went to Southern white schools, universities, had to fight, had encounters with the Klan, had roommates who had never met black people before. So I had my opportunities to be angry and to be mad. But I called on the name of the Lord. Really, I had an encounter with God and it changed my life. It didn't make me soft. Forgiving people doesn't make you soft, you know, it made me free. Mm -hmm. And so I, I do what I do now, empowered by the gospel. Mm -hmm. I do what I do now, empowered by the teachings of the word of God. So I, I do what I do now and have attained some of the things we've attained now and done some of the stuff we've done now in helping people mm -hmm. and empowering people because of the scriptures. And so I want everybody to know that God's word is true and every man is a liar, mm -hmm. you know, and so we have to, uh, fight, battle, and war against biblical illiteracy. Mm -hmm. And once our people know what the Word of God says and know who God is, everything's going to be all right. Mm -hmm. And we can hush the mouth of all these scoffers and mockers and mm -hmm. naysayers. Uh, and that's so helpful because people are walking away from what they think Christianity is, not what Christianity actually is. Exactly. They've seen counterfeits of Christianity and not biblical Christianity. And right. so they're rejecting counterfeits 
And so the common ground for us is to say, yeah, that is a counterfeit, but we're going to show you what the Bible says Christianity is and not just what you've experienced. You got people like Malcolm X, you remember in his memoirs, he said, had he had seen what true Christianity was, his father was a Baptist preacher that wasn't a very good one and had mannerisms and lifestyle that didn't match what the Bible taught as far as morality is concerned. So he turned away from it and he didn't accept it. Uh, I remember Stoker Carmichael told me himself personally that if he had seen what he had seen in our ministry and what he heard coming from my ministry back in the day, he would have spent more time serving Jesus while he was here. Mm -hmm. I mean, that, that's from his mouth. Mm -hmm. So you know that there are people who just misinterpret what the church is. And I go back to that again. They really lump everybody, put them under an umbrella. They'll take Catholicism. They'll take some of the Anglicanism, Eastern Orthodox, Roman Catholic. They put all this stuff together and just lump it together and say, that's the church. Mm -hmm. So if they go into a Catholic church and see an emaciated little skinny guy hanging on a crucifix on a cross, still on the cross, they'll say, well, you believe in him. And then they'll tell me I believe in him. And I said, I've never seen that. I've never been around that. I was never a part of religion or denomination. I never was taught that Jesus had a, a hue or I knew he was Middle Easterner. I knew he was from the nation of Israel. I knew he was from the tribe of Judah. If he lived in the Middle East, I knew he was bronze. I knew if he was a carpenter and he was the perfect man that he probably was cut. He was he like superstar Billy Graham, you know, <laughs> but it didn't matter because God is a spirit and the God who saved me, the God who 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 instituted this redemptive plan through Christ simply had to find a man to redeem man. The blood and bulls and goats, God didn't require. He said, so a body thou hast prepared me and I go into the volume of the book to do your will, to offer my blood once for all. So a man, one man pleasures in the sin through disobedience and through the obedience of one man, Christ can all be saved. And so that's the message that I received. I didn't have a picture. I've never seen a portrait of Jesus. Nobody has. You know, I don't know what that looks like. So Jesus is neither black nor white nor whatever. Jesus is a man that came and I didn't see him, but I heard about him and it changed my life. Mm -hmm. So by you being a minister, you've probably seen people come and, and, and be a prodigal and come back. They come off and go into these cults and then come back to mm -hmm. ministry. Do you see that pattern more and more? Because I've seen that just in my lifetime of being a PK. People will go and lead a church, be like they find in themselves or go into these cults and come back. Right, I've seen of course, you know, church outside, you'll see a lot of that. People get caught up, deception, seducing spirits, doctrines of devils. And people, a lot of times, because our churches, a lot of times have failed to um, meet some of the intellectual needs of people. A lot of people are factual, you know, and a lot of people that have facts, and I wanna say this for folk out there who come to me with a lot of facts that you need to know, a lot of historical data, Jesus didn't say you shall know facts and the facts shall set you free. He said you know the truth. So truth and facts are two different things. So when people say to me, well, what about sun worship Sunday? What about um, you guys worshiping uh, on Easter? What about y'all celebrating Christmas? And I said, who is y'all? What are you talking about? You know, and somebody will say to them that we're all wrong because of this and can show them some data that substantiates it, right? and even can show them information. But a lot of that is unfounded. I always ask people this simple question, Lisa, all the time. 
I'll listen to them. They'll tell me why they're doing this and why they're doing that, and I should know this and I should know that. Then I would say this one simple question to them, ask them, who told you that? Have you vetted the people that gave you that information? Are those people qualified? Who told them that? How could somebody who dropped out of high school could barely read, remedial in all their skills, all of a sudden now have enough historical data to make me believe that the God I believe in is not real? Or that the institution, even the institution of the church that I'm a part of is not valid. That's not right. And so what I always say to them is come on back home because there's a homing device. Remember Jesus said, if it was possible, even the very elect would be deceived. And there comes a time when people are led away like the Galatians who have bewitched you, but they were Christians who have bewitched you, haven't started in the faith or now, now you're made perfect by this type of stuff. Mm-hmm. Or like the folk in Acts, where, Paul, where they come back and said, the, the believing Pharisees, except they be circumcised and keep the law of Moses, they cannot be saved. The only problem was they already were. But when you got Judaizers, as it were then, and people who are trying to get you to do additional stuff, and it can, it can get you for a minute. But then I promise you, if you really are God, you'll come to yourself and you'll come back home. There's a homing device in every true child of God. And they make their way back to God, like the prodigal. They'll come to them, themselves and say, you know what? This is crazy. These folks ain't nowhere in the world. I know better than this. And there's something on the inside of you. You don't have to know chapter and verse. There's something on the inside of you that says this ain't right. And that's what I would say to people who scoff and mock the church. There's something inside of us. There's something in us that says this ain't right. So I believe and I believe that belief and that faith I have has changed my whole perspective and outlook on life. This Christian worldview that I have now filtering everything through uh, the word of God and through my relationship with people of God, it makes a big difference. And I'm going to continue to learn because you got to continue to grow. You cannot answer today's questions with yesterday's answers. So knowledge is power. So continue to grow, continue to learn, know your past so you can deal with your present and handle your future. But I can't let my past dominate my life because what's forgiven is forgotten. Mm -hmm. And I got to keep moving. So for those, there's a whole group of people that watch us that feel like God has called them to be apologists, uh, especially to the black context. So they might describe it as urban apologetics, but they don't have a good working relationship with black pastors. Right. Um, There's a disconnect there that I'm noticing. And I always, for me, I always try to be intentional about working with pastors, maybe because my father is a pastor, so I understand a little bit more. Um, But there's a disconnect of trying to make pastors give their congregation this information and and for you i'm sure you've had young apologists tell you what you need to do or feel feel like they everybody wants to critique what is a better relationship you think that a better way they could go about it engaging with pastors you know what's what's uh what's a little different for me about that is i consider myself an urban apologist right Mm -hmm. i consider myself though i'm 60 years old i consider myself a young buck Mm -hmm. yeah because you've always been passionate about apologetics i always passionate about apologetics so i challenge young apologies i challenge them to come and share with me what you believe the church is not doing or what we need to do to be better what we need to do to get right and we'll do it. As a matter of fact, my worship leader right now uh, was involved in urban apologetics and he was just falling in love with some of these guys that we know and girls we know, yourself included, and all they wanted to know is what the Bible said, what the Bible says, and what we ought to be doing, and how do we reach millennials, and how do we do this and that, we're irrelevant, the church is irrelevant. So I hit him on Facebook 
on an inbox, no, on his, on his line. And I said, uh, hello, you're a member of our church. If the church is irrelevant, will you please come and let me know so that we can fix what's ever broken? See, the, the deal is there's some pastors, some of us, and, and it really pastors are guilty and churches are guilty because there's some pastors who just want to do it right, uh, who want to do it God's way and whatever it takes. So if it means uh, succumbing to suggestions from the urban apologists about how we ought to do things and how things ought to function and how we need to reach a certain um, group of people and uh, generational stuff, that's fine, let's do it. The problem comes with tradition and religion. When pastors are stuck in denominational traditions of religion and they can't be flexible and they can't allow themselves to change. But change is necessary. The clinical definition of death is when you stop changing. And so the deal is, uh, I'm gonna do what the will of the Lord is. And I think some pastors would serve themselves and their congregations well, if they would listen to some of the issues that are out here that are presented by urban apologists. Some of the um, poets and spoken word people, you hear some of the messages they have and it's so much so anti-religion and so anti-church, you know, and they all want this relationship with God. But God also has a body of people worldwide, universal, the big C church. And then locally, you have local congregations, little C church, and we're important and we're necessary. And we have to transform our communities. We're sitting in Kingdom Plaza Mall. I mean, church owns a mall, a 400,000 square foot facility that we purchased uh, through the concerted effort of people. We've never had federal grants, state grants, city grants, never applied for one, never had a philanthropic gift. So we're owning to no one, lest they say they made us rich. So we don't have to bow down to anybody. Uh, it's amazing how some people say that the black church in particular doesn't have finances, doesn't care about money, doesn't turn their money over, or don't keep it, it money, yeah, and waste it. it and all. Man, how can we waste it? We employ over 200 people full time, able to help families, 25 to 30% ex-offenders, felonies, felonies, felony charges, people who couldn't get jobs anywhere else. We have our own depository here. We, find, we bank our own money. We had our own federal credit union where we were able to finance so many people in our church. We finance their homes. We turn the money over here. We do what some of these other communities do and it's the church mm -hmm. you know and so for people to say the church doesn't do it and I don't get paid from it I don't get anything extra from it I'm not tagged into the progressiveness of what we do in the ministries it is to empower and to aid and to assist people in becoming the best them that they could be it's taking young black men who unemployed, like today, before I met with you, I met with a young black man who's doing community service. Even I met this uh, videographer today that used to work here in our mall. Um, he used to work in one of the phone centers here, eats at our restaurant all the time, and he's never visited our church. You know, today I even just said to him that there's a place here because we have theatric facilities, we have green screen studios, all this kind of stuff things that people are doing nowadays that they need to connect to the church, the local church, and they can enhance who they are. I just don't understand why that brother had never been here before, but bless be God. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I love what you talked about where you y'all employ ex-offenders because right. I think that's so vital because people are always saying we need reform. Right. And I think social media, we can be social media advocates 
and not be actually doing the work. We can right. talk about the work that needs to be done mm -hmm. and not be doing the work. How have you, uh, I, sometimes you don't talk a lot about the stuff, you just do it. Right. Uh, what would be your admonition to people who are, your encouragement to people who are just online all the time talking about what needs to be done? Yeah, that's a, not a pet peeve of mine. And you notice I don't interact with people like that. I just do what I do. It's difficult for me even right now sitting here talking about what we do because some people, they simply judge you based on what you wear, how you sound. They will sit here and listen to us and can't wait to try to pick apart something that you and I might say that could bless other people, that could enhance and help other people out and do what they got to do. So all these people that are just talking it and ain't walking it, I have an expression in our church, I don't practice what I preach. And I want everybody to know that. I really don't practice what I preach. I preach what I practice. Mm. And so I think the power is in the manifestation and doing something about it. I mean, even from our city, all of these things, the stuff that we do in our community, in our streets, I'm the chairman of Mad Dads and um, we're first responders. And when there's crime, when somebody's shot down in the street, we don't talk about it. We go there. We try to get folk to snitch. Nothing wrong with snitching. Just tell the <laughs> truth. Tell us we're trying to save our communities. We um, have our Christian Academy where we're able to shape these kids from three year old. We have kids that attended our uh, academy when they were in K-4 that are now teaching in our academy, right back in the same community. We got people that started with us in K-4 who are in uh, fellowships at Chicago University, graduated from Notre Dame, UCLA, all over the place, you know, everywhere, doctors and lawyers and stuff now, giving back to the community. So you catch them early, our blacktop ministry, where we can account for hundreds and hundreds of kids a night using basketball and using some curriculum to help them and to teach them the word of God and to just teach them to be moral and teach them to obey their parents so they can live a long life, those type of things. And then as you grow up, we don't just kick you to the curb, but we got jobs for you and we can help you. We can mentor you. We can teach you business skills. We can teach you investment skills. In this mall, we got wealth, wealth watchers and we have some of the other companies that help people repair their credit and, and, and get jobs, resume writing. We have business center where we teach people how to prepare their resumes, how to go to the job, suited for success, give them a suit, give them something to wear, send them out, support them, help them, make the calls, use us as refer references. We can put you in our bowling alley and let you get some job experience. We can put you in the bistro, give you some job experience, in the fitness center, in the mall somewhere, and now you have a resume, you have some experience, and you got a better chance of getting a job. And you see black owned and operated businesses in the urban community. We see people can own businesses instead of just working businesses all their lives. And so as the CEO of the Kingdom Plaza Mall and the senior pastor of the Potter's House, it's not about me. It's about modeling ministry in this new millennium and showing people from our urban core that you can be successful and you can do it through the gospel of Jesus Christ. This is not an oppressive book. This is not an oppressive message. This is not something that's bent on keeping you down. Didn't keep me down. It lifted me up. And so many hundreds, literally thousands of others, just through our own little local ministry. Imagine if every church was as concerned about their community as they ought to be, and everybody was manifesting as they ought to be. That would shut the mouth of a whole lot of people, and we'd see the glory of God in the earth. Mm -hmm.
Yeah, and I think that's wonderful. It is where orthopraxy and orthodoxy collide. Where they meet together, mm -hmm. that's right. It, that it, it, it comes out, what you believe comes out of your actions. Right. And so it doesn't make you uh, uh, less woke, but you know. Because <laughs> <laughs> you, you say less woke, I mean, like for me, right? I'm, uh, if you want to talk about black history, let's talk about black history. If you want to talk about the continent of Africa and its contributions to the world, let's talk about that. But if you want to talk about eternal life, let's talk about Jesus, right? Let's talk about God's plan of salvation through the shed blood of Jesus on the cross of Calvary. Um, to believe that and it can change your life is a mystery to me. It's, 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 um, it's amazing. It's, it's, it's not something you can just explain. You really do have to experience it. And there's a drawing that takes place in our lives, like in my life, God drew me he drew me, drew me, a person here, a person there, a sign here, a sign there. Um, I was hard-headed. I was, you know, I was doing my own thing. I was deep in sin, you know, and, and God saved me. I called on the name of the Lord, and he saved me. So many people want to be their own man. They want to live their best life now. Do you know that living your best life now, if this is all you got, you're miserable. You know, your best life doesn't start until you die. You ever seen a picture of heaven? You ever read about it? But not even that, when you die to yourself, that's when you really live your best life. So when I died to myself, now my entire life is aiding and assisting and abetting others, even in my community, but just others in general, because I don't have a peeve with anybody. Uh, Jesus, Bible said, God so loved the world, everybody in it, that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believes on him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Whosoever. If this book was written by a particular group or a racial makeup or a white man or whatnot, I don't think they would put whosoever. Mm -hmm. Because I think that makes the playing field level and he's torn down the walls of perdition between us and it made of himself twain, different ethnic groups, one new man. So in Christ, we're neither Jew nor Greek, male nor female, bond nor free, we're all one. And I experienced that by faith. Nobody taught me, I didn't hear a sermon. I had never heard a preacher when I got saved. I never heard a sermon. Mm -hmm. I had an encounter with God and nobody's ever taught me tradition. And they didn't do that. I started preaching six months after my conversion. The first funeral I ever attended, I preached it. The first time I partook of the Lord's Supper, I was the pastor serving it. And the first wedding I went to outside of my own, I performed it. So for me, like Paul said, one born out of due season, I'm not contaminated with the traditions of this world, with man, with some of these ideologies that people say the church is westernized and, and we're inundated with and we can't think on our own and we can't function. I answer to nobody but God. I love people. I have accountability base in men around me. I have what the state requires, I have what the Bible requires, and eldership that, that I'm responsible to. I have other pastors and, and leaders that I'm responsible to, and that is the multitude of councils, and that's where I find my safety. Mm -hmm. And so we have to have all those things in place, but also we got to realize that not everybody is a crook, and not everybody's out to make a name for themselves. Jesus made himself of no reputation. That's what, what we're doing here is not done everywhere. But you don't see me with billboards up talking about come see, come here. You have to remain faithful to your immediate surrounding, your own little Jerusalem. 
take care of it first before you try to go to the ends of the world and make a name for yourself. Mm -hmm. And that's what we tried to do as a local church. Mm -hmm. And that's helpful. And I love how you brought the gospel and highlighted that because sometimes apologetics, and I have to catch myself, it could just become an a, a academic exercise. Mm -hmm. And it should be just a gateway to share the gospel. Exactly. And so many times we never get to the point where we actually share the gospel. We just are engaging in conversation. And that I find a lot with social media. We have all of the social media prophets and now everybody. Somebody wrote something the other day and said, boy, a whole lot of people would lose their credentials and a whole lot of prophets and apostles and teachers and pastors would just lose all their lives efforts if Facebook just shut down because it makes everybody an apologist. It makes everybody um, a polemist. It makes everybody. I'm a little more irenic than most folk. Irenic, Irene, Greek, peace. I'm more peaceable in my presentation of the gospel. I want people to get what's in the curriculum and not the curriculum. I teach the student and not the curriculum. I need people to understand that it's practical. You know, you have to throw that little scholarship in orthodoxy, orthopraxy, yeah, <laughs> what we know and what we do. And so the deal is that, yeah, if what we know doesn't affect what we do, Daniel 11:32 said, they that know their God shall be strong and do great exploits. So what we need to be doing, the exploits that we need to be performing comes out of our knowledge of God. So knowledge is power and it's manifest in what we do in life. And that's what I believe. I didn't get saved to sit down and do nothing. I didn't get saved to preach on a Sunday. That's anticlimactic to me. It's life after the benediction. It's Monday through Sunday. It's 24 seven anointing. It's when I wake up where I go, what I do. Am I impacting, am I influencing, am I adding value to somebody? Not am I getting more wealthy, not am I getting a bigger house, not am I driving a better car, not that I'm wearing better clothes, no. Who am I helping? Who am I enhancing? What am I doing? How does the gospel impact life? How do I meet the felt needs of people? Because that Luke 10 model, you bless the people, you eat with them, you listen, you meet their felt needs, then you let them know that the kingdom of God is amongst them. Nobody wants to know how much you know until they know how much you care. And um, you can go and evangelize a community and use words if you have to. Sir Francis of Sissy. <laughs> so. Um, so for those who uh, want to get to know more about you, how can they do? Uh, me? Um, I shoot pool. Uh, you know, if you want to come to <laughs> pool hall, H no. if you want to get to know more about me, I, I'm on Facebook, you know, Von McLaughlin, not Bishop McLaughlin, just Von McLaughlin, you know, on Facebook. Uh, uh, our church is located here in Jacksonville at 5119 Normandy Boulevard, uh, the Potter's House International Ministries. Our website is tphim.org. Uh, all of our messages are there, all that we do there, everything about us is uh, on that site. Um, and we're just in this community making a difference, man. And we're just going to stay faithful, steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. Again, I just want to stay black, die, see Jesus. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you so much, Bishop. I really appreciate it. Thank you for your time. And thank you for watching another episode of the Jude 3 Project podcast. You can support us online at jude3project.com backslash donate. We would greatly appreciate it. Every gift helps equip. God bless. Peace. Thank you so much for listening to another episode of the Jew 3 Project podcast. I hope you enjoyed this episode. You can tune into all our past episodes at www.jew3project.com. You can subscribe on iTunes, Stitcher, 
Google Play. Remember not only to subscribe, but also rate us. That helps us to gauge how we're doing and how you're enjoying the show. And it gives other listeners some ideas about the show as well. So thank you so much for tuning in. Also, remember, we have our Bible engagement app in partnership with Back to the Bible to help you get better engaged in the Bible every single day. You take a survey, it assesses your strengths and weaknesses and sends you Bible verses based on those. So it's a great app. You can download the app by searching in your app store or Google Play, searching Jude 3 Project, and it'll be right there for you. So thank you again. Remember, if you would like to become a monthly partner or a one-time giver, you can do so on our website or by mail. Just go to Jude3Project.com, hit that donate tab, and you'll see the option to mail in a gift or give online. We appreciate you, and I'm so, so thankful for you. God bless, and remember, here at the Jude 3 Project, we're helping you to know what you believe and why you believe it.